We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I am Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat. Jace, we have a special guest on with us today. It's longtime friend of the program, Cody Westerland. Cody, thanks so much for uh, joining us, dude. And we got some some mildly fun stuff to talk about. I think since the last time we did a podcast. Bulls, big, inspiring win over the New Orleans Pelicans, 114-106 on Sunday. They followed that up with perhaps their worst performance of the season, losing to the league-worst Detroit Pistons, 105-95 at home. The Bulls have now provided the Pistons two of their nine wins on the year, a totally flat, pathetic performance from the Bulls, defined by the worst three-point shooting performance in league history. I think the Bulls shot like <laughs> 6% from three on 6. about 29 attempts. Uh, it has essentially, uh, no, one's, no team who's ever taken that many threes has hit so few in the regular season. So uh, that was awful. And then the Bulls had a formidable Cleveland Cavaliers team on the second end of a back-to-back the following night. Sure felt like the Bulls were going to get their teeth kicked in, but instead the Bulls, down four rotation players, come back and give a gritty, resilient effort to overcome Javon Carter's inability to take a wide-open layup, end up going to double overtime. I hope he bought everyone dinner with that $7 million a year salary because Damar and Kobe did not each have to play 50 minutes in that game. If Javon Carter just takes the layup, he does not. Bulls still win in double overtime, 132-123, a game the Cavs absolutely pissed away. Uh, just a, a ton of errors down the stretch for Cleveland. They followed DeMar DeRozan on a three-point shot attempt at the end of regulation. Uh, it was just a lot of silliness from Cleveland, and, you know, Credit the Bulls for uh, fighting hard with so many injured guys. No Patrick Williams, no Torrey Craig. Alex Caruso was also out that game on his 30th birthday. Bulls somehow win. So now the Bulls are 28-31. and 31. Since their 4-15 and 15 start, guys, the Bulls are 23-17. and 17. That equates to a 47-and-a-half win pace over the course of an 82-game regular season. Of course, we cannot simply wipe away the Bulls' poor start. They have to wear it around their neck and their shoulders the rest of the year and into the playing tournament that will ultimately decide their fate. Jason Cody, I feel like I go back and forth on either being super pissed off about this team or just like straight up apathy and like, who cares? I'm just going to watch college basketball as March Madness starts approaching. Uh, But I got to say, after I swore off the Bulls following the Celtics loss, I still found myself watching every minute of the Pelicans game. I made a big show out of telling my fiance, Stace, 
I'm not going to watch the Bulls the rest of the year, baby. We're good to go. Screw the Bulls. They're finished. I then watched every second of the Pelicans game. I watched a little bit of the Pistons game, and I watched pretty much the entire Cavs game. So uh, after watching that Cavs game, I kind of just felt like, wow, maybe we should be a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like maybe we should show a little bit more respect to the players on the roster. Once again, overcoming a disastrous front office, a totally apathetic ownership to at least, you know, like have some pride in themselves and in the team and, uh, you know, give a nice little performance we also have, and I hope I'm not butchering his first name again, we also have the, in essentially the NBA debut for newly signed Turkish wing, Onalap Batim. Onalap Batim? Batim balled out. I called it an 80th percentile Patrick Williams game. He had 10 points and six rebounds. He was diving on the floor. He was throwing passes on his butt. He was hitting threes. He was doing it all. Steph Noah had a nice little breakdown of his performance today on his Twitter feed. So that was me rambling for a while. Cody, I'm going to kick it to you. Uh, have we been too hard on the Bulls? And should we show, you know, some uh, some admiration for the way the players have been kind of fighting? And God, don't say compete. Don't say compete. Don't say compete. I was going to say compete. Competing, competing uh, we, throughout the season after the slow start. We have not been too hard on the Bulls as an organization, and I think everything in this season, especially once the trade deadline has passed in many ways and how pivotal that was and what the Bulls didn't do as they stood pat, uh, everything by way of criticism toward them is justified, and it is not too hard. I'm with you on the players saying, right? Like, both of these things can be true. Like, Andre Drummond's just playing his ass off. Every night, you know, like Kobe White and Io DeSumo, uh, obviously Kobe hasn't shot the ball very well lately the last couple of games, but like these guys are laying it all out there. DeMar does too. So I hear you there, but no, this is, this is a locked and loaded play in team that is almost, I should say, probably going to get eliminated on one of the first couple days of the play in and best case scenario, you guys know, like this is. This is a gentleman's sweep best case scenario in a first round one eight matchup for the Bulls. So I don't ever think it's over the top um, to talk about this because you just when you're not competing for anything more than an eight seed, the season at hand really doesn't matter that much. And we'll always get back to the front office and what's next because we have so much evidence and proof that this core uh, does not work together. And part of the core is injured. Part of the core is disgruntled, basically. So, uh, no, never over the top. The only the only issue I'll take with anything you've said so far, Ricky, is the team way better rebounder than Patrick Williams already. <laughs> I only needed to see 27 minutes to realize that. The guy drew like two fouls on rebounds, too. He easily could have had like eight or nine rebounds if they just let him go out there and bowl over some people and not have people knock him over, too. So uh, I, I was impressed with how hard he played in uh, – just, I mean, hit a couple three-pointers, and I thought he rebounded well and was generally okay on defense, so that was good. Yeah, I was going to say, let's start with him before any of the big-picture stuff in last night's game. Um, yeah, I mean, he had, what, 10 points, six boards. There was the, the whatever, he went to the floor and, like, that overtime grabbing that rebound and all that fun stuff. So, um, I mean, he's got to just play. Like, at this point, you assign him to that deal. Uh, you got to just play in big minutes. He played, what, was it 27-something? 27. All I think of a, overtime, too. Yeah, yeah. plus 16, I think. Obviously, single game plus minus can be a thing. But, like, he played well, and Bulls played well with him on the court. I think he played during a lot of that fourth-quarter comeback, and as you mentioned, the overtimes. Um, play the guy. Like, I, I don't like, I don't know much about him. I haven't done much scouting. So other people have yeah. watched more of him. But, like, uh, I know, like, our guy Laro has been talking him up in, like, our group chat, you know, and he can shoot a bit, like, Decent numbers shooting in Turkey, and and we saw it. He was two for two for three last night. He could do a little handling. He said hustling a bit. So like, you might as well just like play him a ton of night. As we talked about, like the season just doesn't really matter this much anymore. So like, play the guy 25, 30 minutes, and I'm glad that Billy finally did it. Like I wonder because they signed him. Now they're like, well, all right, he's gonna play. Like, so that's, as well, just play him. Like the injuries. That's that's what gets me. I that is just comical. He could have played at any point of right. the season on the yeah. two-way deal. He could have played 50 times, and they played him twice on the two-way deal. And then they officially elevate him 
to a standard contract, which is probably um, flexibility for potential trade matching purposes in the summer, most likely. But that kind of opened us up the window. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, right? Because Alex Caruso being out was a big reason why he's playing. It hasn't usually been the case for the Bulls that Patrick Williams, Torrey Craig, and Alex Crusoe are all out, and he kind of slides in and fits that mold of what? Yeah. Just guys that are generally six foot six-ish um, out there, and otherwise you got 100 centers and 100 guards or point guards out there if he's not playing. So that was his opportunity. But, yes, you make the point. Like, they could have used him a bit more at other points if they wanted to earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, and especially with, I mean, DeMar is playing 40. DeMar and Kobe, obviously, they don't play exactly the same positions, but like, these guys have been playing 40 minutes a night for the last three months. And, like, I think we might be finally starting to see that wear on Kobe a bit. DeMar, I mean, DeMar was 8 of 26, and he grifted his way to a million free throws, including that those game-time free throws. But, like, DeMar's DeMar. Who knows if he's going to break down? But, like, Kobe, it seems like, might be slowing down a bit playing with all this just the biggest minutes load of his life and uh, he's been in a slump i know kobe's gone through slumps before but i do worry about him just i've been put, trying to push the most improved player thing but like if he's gonna slump the rest of the year because he's been playing 40 minutes a night for three months but like i mean even i mean caruso's played big minutes uh i was playing huge minutes like you might as well give the team a, a, a little even when the, these guys some of these guys are healthy like you might as well see what you got with him to just save some of the other guys as well yeah, you're preaching to the choir here, right? Like for for reporters who cover these games in person at home, like myself, it's just so much of the same for so much of the year. So like I found it refreshing for the team to just be so thankful for his opportunity that he got it. Like it's one of the things where you can roll your eyes at a lot of things in the NBA through the years because you see it all the time. But it's one of the few things that I feel like it's really the most genuine thing really about people is when they do get that first opportunity. And I felt like we saw it a lot when the Bulls first started their rebuild um, under Gar Packs in 2017 because they cycled in so many guys as like the 15th man and fringe roster players and 10 day contracts at the end of those seasons and such. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. I don't know if it means anything in the big picture for for OB as the most of the team calls him um, uh, with the team for what his role will be in the future. But there's no reason not to figure out a little bit more as this season goes and then play it by ear in the summer. Yeah, I mean, to me, when they announced the signing, I had never heard of him like most people. I looked up his stats. I watched some highlights and I thought hey, this is a good guy to take a flyer on. He's the right size for a wing. He's a pretty good shooter. He seems pretty athletic. He won two dunk contests in Turkey. You can't be out dunking all the Turks and not be athletic. So uh, he passed, you know, he passed whatever sensibility test I had to give them. And uh, it was fun to watch him last night. I was going to bring up the interview and uh, you brought that up Cody before I could ask you but the interview I almost thought he was going to start crying I mean it was so genuine it was so awesome and you could just see the emotion flowing out of him it, uh, it was it was interesting because he was extremely emotional like you said for the first minute or two had a couple more questions and then like the last question or two like the last minute of the interview it's like oh my god did he have a personal one-on-one preparation session with AK because he kept talking about competing like four <laughs> or five times like we're gonna compete I this is what we do we're players that's what how I'm wired stuff like that so that that made me chuckle a little bit I'm like he is just he's perfect AK guy right there and speaking of competing Cody this game was all the more reason that the Bulls should have traded Alex Caruso at the trade deadline, which to me is the most unforgivable sin of the season. I believe the Bulls are now 2-0 and without Caruso post-trade deadline. They beat the Hawks in a game that uh, immediately followed the trade deadline, and then they won this game. So they, they might have played more games without him post-trade deadline. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know... When we talk about like where this team should go and what they should do, I think most people realize like they're just in a fucking tough spot uh, where they're currently at. But this season does not have any upside, as you laid out, Cody, when uh, you made your first comments on this episode. You know, best case scenario is you're losing in five to the Celtics, and even the chances of that happening are pretty slim because you'd have to win two playing games. Uh, where the Bulls could have given their fans some hope for the future 
is by recouping some future assets to trade Caruso, who is at the peak of his value. Very similar to the Bulls not trading DeRozan last year at the trade deadline when, you know, another team could have had him for two rounds. Uh, and I just felt like watching this game was all, it just made me pissed off again. Like, how do you not trade Caruso? Caruso's excellent. He's so awesome. In a better world, Caruso is like an all-time Bulls legend on the level of Joakim Noah for his heart, his hustle, his everything. His grit. Uh, but unfortunately, we do not live in a better world. We live in our current melting climate where the Bulls, you know, are at best a 500 team. They won't even be a 500 team. They suck. They're hopeless. No one gives a shit. Uh, and everyone can see that besides for the guy who actually makes the decisions, and that's AK. So, uh, you know, Caruso was clearly at the high point of his value. We've had a little birdie in our ear telling us the details of what the Warriors may have offered the Bulls. Seemed like a great package to me. It seems like something the Bulls should have taken. Uh, they didn't, and Caruso's still on the team, and that win without him uh, against a very good Cavs team just made me mad all over again that, you know, Arturis had no foresight in terms of getting rid of him. So It was a delusional decision. There's no other way to put it, both for, for Caruso and Andre Drummond. And I think Caruso was the one not making that move that was more meaningful because he would have returned something good. And I mean, do tell if you want, but I'm seems like the Warriors had some sort of first round pick and a young player um, on the table for Alex Caruso. Um, Perhaps even more, I don't know, but it's been pretty well detailed and things I've heard and things we've read and um, everything that it would have made a lot of sense for the Bulls to trade Alex Crusoe to the Warriors. And I made the point too, like, does AK just not understand the general dynamics of how a few things work in the league? I go back to him giving Billy Donovan a contract extension when Billy still had like two years left on his original deal. You don't have to give coaches a contract extension until they have one left, one year left on their deal. You know what I mean? You don't have to throw a player option on the back end of every single role player's contract that you sign to your organization. And this is just another one. Like you trade a guy like Alex Caruso, who's ready made for a playoff contender to a team with Steph Curry, you do it for the good of the NBA because it's better if Alex <laughs> Caruso's in Golden right. State trying to help Steph win a title. And it's better for you a year or two from now to be good at basketball. And that's how the cycle works. It's the entire life cycle and ecosystem of the NBA. And he's just standing, saying they're doing nothing, just stuck in neutral, apparently doesn't understand just these basic concepts. It was time to trade Caruso. You compare it to the DeRozan situation last year. I can understand like standing pat at like one trade deadline cycle or like hanging on a little too long a cycle or two, but we are well into these transaction windows when they should have moved on and done something and they haven't. So that to me is, uh, as you said, I think the unforgivable, unforgivable part. And then Andre Drummond clearly was going to be worth at least two and maybe three second round picks from the 76ers. But he is here, Ricky, and he helped them beat the Grizzlies like on trade deadline night. And he certainly helped them beat the Cavs uh, just the other night at the United Center. So he single handedly just what? Keeping them in ninth place in the East instead of 10th at times, it feels like. So all of that is delusional because they still would have been in the play. And like you said, whether these guys are here or not, because the back of the East stinks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, Drummond has legitimately won them probably like three or four games. There was that Hawks game that he started that he had like a 20-20 game. Like they don't win that game without him doing that. And then last night, you mentioned that Grizzlies game. He was the Timberwolves game. Uh, he beasted then that in that big comeback. Obviously, that a lot of that was Kobe, but Drummond was also huge uh, against Rudy Gobert in the, down the stretch of that game. So like three or four Andre Drummond games where he's like basically like every third or fourth game, he looks like a Hall of Famer. And obviously, he's one of the best rebounders of all time. He calls himself that. But like I mean, he's legitimately awesome right now. The stat was out there that he's averaging like 18 rebounds a game as a starter. And that's like the most since Rodman yeah. in like 1995. Like the guy has been he's playing his ass off. Like I was at all credit to the like some of these players, like the, t- the team that they have like in place has like a, a lot of likable guys. Uh, they really do. For. So like with Drummond, the way he's been playing, like DeMar is obviously just a pro's pro and like he does all the mental health stuff, which is great. And then Kobe, we lo- love Kobe, love Io as an Illinois guy in the Chicago dude. It's like the team is pretty likable. It's just, yeah, the, all the ire should be at the front office for just their paralysis and three straight deadlines of doing nothing. The, the off seasons have been barely anything either. So it's like it's just such an unfortunate situation because like uh, we're just like. It is finding itself in a hard spot. Like last night, like was was like a feel good win, but then you're just like, it's like oh, like let's, what does it really mean? It means nothing. And like, you know, like the Cavs obviously choked, so like it was kind of the Cavs should have won that game. But I mean, the Bulls are fighting. They the the, the competing meme is like it's it's totally legit. Like they compete basically every night. They they don't really lay many eggs. The Pistons game was the first like really bad game they've played in a while. Like they don't really get blown out much. Like the Celtics game, like they were up at half and the Celtics blow out almost everybody. Like, like I, you don't blame them for that game. Like they're so shorthanded, but they are competing. So it's like, it's just, it's, it's such a, such a joke, honestly, but like, it's like, you do want to root for these guys to do well. I do I also rooting for them because I have money on the line for the for the over 37 and a half. So I need them to get to 38. And I'm pretty confident they're going to do it even with some tough games coming up because they're competing every night. Then they pull out all these close games like their clutch stats are insane for like the team that they are. Like it's honestly unbelievable how good they are. They've been in the clutch this year. So it's like it is such as like a like, do I care? Like, but do I root for them? Am I upset about what's going on? Like. All of it, it kind of comes back to apathy. Apathy sometimes was what the front office has done, but like they haven't, they haven't gritty. They've been fighting hard. They've been hashtag competing and competitive in a lot of these games. I looked at when you, I was looking between some stuff out the, the last couple of days, just looking at like the season. Uh, and it's kind of been broken into quarters like perfectly. Like the first quarter of the season, disaster. Second quarter of the season, Kobe White was awesome. They kind of got back into it. And this last quarter of the season, they've been, they're 10 and 10. Since they moved to 18 and 21, going into the Ring of Honor night, the infamous Ring of Honor night, they're 10 and 10 since that game. They're like, their net rating is like zero in that stretch. Like, they're the most mid team, but honestly, that's way better than they should be with like all these injuries. Like, they should not be where they are, and they still kind of are because they've, and I think 15 of those 20 games have been clutch games. Like, literally almost every game is coming down to the wire. So, like, (laughs) we can only really laugh at this point with where they're at. There's a lot of things that don't always make sense with this team because they have been really solid in clutch time obviously but yeah everyone just yells about the last possession of every single game because they don't it's like we got spoiled the first year DeMar was here everyone thought you just hit a button and he automatically makes a game winning shot at the buzzer inside the final five seconds so the team has been well organized it feels like for most of clutch situations until it comes down to the final possession and that's uplifted them in so many ways in some games that they they shouldn't have won. And that's what happens when you have a guy like DeMar who can methodically read the floor, um, is willing to draw two and share it and can draw a foul so well, isn't a high turnover guy usually. So stuff like that kind of makes sense. But again, like there's just so many, so many players on this team that don't have enough upside either or will be asked to do more then they should. And that's okay in the prism of the rest of the season, but they're going to have to find a way to get out of that cycle sometime this summer. And I'll be interested to, to see what the goal is. And like, I would like to get at some point 
Michael Reinsdorf to speak again on the record to reiterate what his vision is, because right now we know Jerry's trying to put together a new stadium for the White Sox and isn't going to be um, having much on his his finger on the pulse of the Bulls by way of big things right now. Um, So to me, it's like, what does Michael Reinsdorf want? Because if it is the eight seed, AK is fulfilling his vision exactly. But to me, I have to take AK at his word when he directly says the front office supports me and what decisions I want to make when that's what it matches behind the scenes from what I've heard, right? Like I have not heard from anyone that ownership told AK, you have to go chase the eight seed. To me, it's like they did that work. The hay was in the barn when they hired him. They found the man that would already do that for them years ago. And he's this is how he's wired. And there's really no other way to explain what his vision is right now other than that's how he's wired. He wants to compete. He can't stand the thought of being the worst team or worst five team in the NBA. But there's just there's some red flags there, too, in that trade deadline press conference when people asked him about um, money and financials and spending and being up against the luxury tax potentially this offseason and how that factors into Patrick Williams headed for restricted free agency, DeMar to unrestricted free agency. And he's like, yeah, that's a problem for later. Like, (laughs) no, like. Come on. That's like what you'd say to your kid when you need dinner later or something like that's a problem for later. We'll just go to McDonald's or something like, are you kidding is me? part of the job, man? Like you that's always need to be looking ahead. That's literally what you got to do. So yeah. I, I'm not sitting here acting like no one in the Bulls front office has that plan. Like JJ Polk is their cap salary cap expert and was influential in all the moves and sign trades they made when they originally overhauled the team um, in dramatic fashion in 2021. So like they have these things in their head, but it doesn't feel like AK at least is comfortable with them or grasping the importance at all times of what the future holds and how the present affects the future. AK seems like he's going to throw a fucking parade if they get the eight seed. Like he is going to be so self-satisfied and say, we did it. I did it. This team did not make the playoffs for nine years before I came over, which is false. You know, they, it was <laughs> four years or whatever it was, and he got it wrong at the post-trade deadline yeah. press conference. But he's going to be fucking loving himself. So proud. He says he owes so, it to the fans. Have you found a fan in Chicago yet who cares about the eight seed? Well, that's the thing, Cody, and this is what I keep coming back to. I have a clip on my computer from Media Day this year. I tweeted out months ago, but in it, AK says, you know, Chicago, it's not the type of city that'll let you rebuild. And it seems like to our tourists, the city wants a competitive team. Maybe he heard this when he was hired, when the Bulls were fucking laughing stock led by Jim Boylan. And now he seems to have this belief that as long as the team is competing, uh, the fan base is cool with where the team is at. And he can point to the attendance. He can point to, you know, was it that Timberwolves game, I think, yeah. where, yep. uh, you know, they were going, the whole crowd was going crazy. Yep. And I mean, you know, last night, too, the conversation online where some people would be like, well, this is the fans fault. The fans shouldn't give any money to Reinsdorf. And it's my thing on that is like, it's like, no, dude, it's like, you know, sports takes your mind off all the shitty stuff in life. And you can't blame the fans for wanting to go support their favorite team and be happy when they win. It is your job, Arturis, to think about things beyond what's immediately in front of the team today. You need to be thinking about the big picture. You need to realize that competing does not mean having a coin flip chance to win or lose every game. It means competing for a championship. And the fact of the matter is that this team's present is way better than their future. And their present sucks. No one likes their present. No one's satisfied by a team that has the upside to get their ass kicked in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, and God, this is as good as it's going to get. Like, Mark's falling down the age curve. Uh, are they going to be able to bring back Andre Drummond next year? Probably not. I don't think they are. Yeah. I mean, I think there's val- valor and dignity in avoiding total rebuilds, right? Like, yeah. the Indiana Pacers. I'm not team like, tank. Never competed for like the bottom three seeds in the NBA or whatever. They always try to just turn the roster over on the fly as an example of another team. But to do that, you can only do that 
if you have the foresight to understand that maybe you have to trade Zach Levine after his first year of his mega deal, or you have to trade DeMar DeRozan with a year and a half left on his contract, or you have to trade Alex Crusoe with a year and a half left on his contract. Because otherwise, you're always going to be stuck in whatever state of mediocrity you are in. Um, in generally in that given time. So you can only avoid total rebuilds if you are creative and willing to turn the roster over as you go gradually on the fly. And the Bulls, AK just hasn't wanted that. And it's the rebuild thing too. Like, that's fine. Like, if you want to avoid it, but I don't understand. The city loved the Bears rebuilding. <laughs> the Blackhawks rebuild obviously got lucky and went to perfection too. But this team loved the Cubs result from rebuilding, or the city loved the Cubs result. And you can rebuilding. protect like, your job a little bit sometimes. Yeah, so, hey, we're rebuilding. We're going to suck for a year or two. Like, here's what's going to happen. So, like, I mean, maybe with this front office, it doesn't matter. Like, he'll just keep his job for a long time, no matter what. Uh, also, dude, just trade Caruso and Drummond, and your team is still busy. Yeah, the stuff about this, yeah, the stuff he talked about, like he's just like unwilling to take like any type of step back, and it wouldn't even been that much of a step back, as we like they're going to be the nine seed. Like with those guys, without them, they'll probably end up as the nine. Like, will they be a little worse overall? Yes, but like he's just like no willingness to take any type of step back to maybe make the future better. It's just. That's just weird. Like I like I said, there's there is valor in like not tanking and whatever, trying to trying to compete, but like just the stubbornness to not like even be willing to take a small step back to maybe get better in the future. I mean, with like the you mentioned the Pacers, like they were willing to make a trade. They trade an all-star big man to get Tyrese Halliburton, and now look at Tyrese Halliburton. Like uh opportunistic trade of that worked out for both teams. Uh and they instead of tanking, they uh, now having all one of the best point guards in the NBA who's really young. Like, are the Bulls going to make any trades like that? Like, there's like the Zach Levine trade is probably going to be awful whenever it does I, happen. Like, I, I was like, going to say, like, the only way out of this is like a Zach Levine trade. It, but you're just not going to sell him for much this summer, certainly. Um, given that he's coming off the uh, the foot surgery now, uh, so to me, it's that's difficult. That that's the one spot where you would see like get a role player or maybe two back in a Zach Levine trade that helps you um, take a step forward as a team, whether that's an established veteran role player, whether that's a youngster who can be in your rotation, like that's just going to be really hard to pull off. It feels like, and that feels like to me, we'll have to like round back on these trade possibilities and who has cap space and such after the playoffs are done and everything, because there's always fallout from that. Someone loses early, someone gets unhappy and wants out. But to me that it, it's just really hard to see the path for how they turn it over too much this summer to be better next year um, for the bulls. And they don't, I don't think they want to be better. All they want to do is make the playoffs. And if AK makes the playoffs this year, he's going to say, I did it. I'm the king. <laughs> Worship me. We were in such a bad situation before I came here. We made the playoffs two of the last three years. I am untouchable. I am a god. And he will truly believe this about himself, while anyone with half a brain will realize this man is a delusional idiot. It so, is not hard to to build a playoff team in the NBA. Like 53% of the teams make the playoffs. And it's especially with the play easy. and especially with the play yeah. now. Like the Bulls are in the East. The Bulls are not like you're going against yeah. Wemby and Luca every night. You're the going Bulls, against freaking Trey Young and Mikhail Bridges. I've talked about this before. Like the play with the, the way the play is set up, like I mean they're five, what is it, five games out of the eight. Like the Bulls probably like that the nine and ten teams like should not feel like qualify for the play-in if you're five games. They did that the first time they had the play-in, remember, in the bubble. I think you had to be like three or four games back of the eight to like yep. get that. Like I feel like they should bring that back. They won't do it. They love having these extra games and having these teams try to compete. But like if the Bulls end five games out as like the nine seed, uh, like they have no business getting that chance to get it to get in to become the eight seed. Like I know they'd have to win two games, but like I mean, they're like three or four games back. The ten seed right now in the West is what the Lakers or the Warriors, and they're like four games over five hundred. The Bulls are the nine seed, and they're three games under. Like the Bulls would be three or four games back in the ten seed if they were in the West, but they're in the shitty East, and they're three games under five hundred. They're gonna get a chance to make the eight seed, but for like, and that's Just, nothing to be excited about. You know the Bulls are going to be locked in like a tie game, 87-87 with five minutes to play. It's in Orlando. Orlando. Oh, yeah. In for the for the eight seed, though. We know that's coming. Yes. It, Which is just what happened last year, too, against the Heat. That's, right? yeah. They were tied with four minutes left, and the Heat ended up going to the finals. 
and Arturis convinces himself that this could have been us. We could have been in the finals. Never mind everything else about that heat team. Stupid! It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy how delusional this guy is. Looking at the looking at the next whatever look whatever the team they bring back next season, like we're assuming that it's Demar's back, right? They're going to re-sign him, probably. Would you probably that would be my uh, what would you what would you give what would you give Demar? What would I give Demar? I would probably give him two years. I don't know. I would rather give him somewhere in the lower mid fifties, but I'm sure um, in my scenario here, it'd be two years, 60 million or something. And I think the, uh, I think the argument in that negotiation will be on the third year. Right. Um, I think the bulls should hold steady to two years on yeah. DeMar's Match him up contract. with Vooch. I mean, Vooch doesn't have gotten Vooch last year. year. They should have yeah. given Vooch two years and they gave him three years and Vooch now can't make a shot at any point on the floor. So why would Arturis win this negotiation when he's never won one? DeMar's going to get three years because Arturis can't negotiate. Because DeMar, I mean, he's earned the money. Like, we've talked about this. DeMar has, like, earned his next contract. And, like... You don't pay for past performance. Like you don't, yeah, right, exactly. Like he's going to be 35 or whatever, and, like, the team is where they're at, mediocre. And, like, a mediocre team should not be paying a 35-year-old. I wonder if he'll get, like... 25 million on a third year and like half of it's guaranteed and half of it's not right. Like if they give him a fully guaranteed third year, I did it with Vooch. <laughs> he did. But, yeah. but I mean, DeMar's going to be a tad older than Vooch yeah. at that point. Right. Um, if I'm doing my math. Here, yeah. Right? A couple of um, years, I think on everything. Yeah. So um, that, that will be a really fascinating contract because uh it look at least if you just give him to cut it there you can claim again we're going to compete for the yeah. eight seat for two more years and then turn it over and that's not gonna make riggy happy he's still <laughs> shaking his head here um doesn't make Whoa. anyone happy but like at least it's just not completely at least there's a logic in having some of these guys contracts end at the same time at least yeah yeah I would also think there would be a logic in trying to keep your pick next year, which is top 10 protected to San Antonio, a horrible bit of negotiating on Arturis's part to pay out a first round pick for a free agent just to get rid of a bad contract, which he took in the Vucevic trade in, I believe that was Al Farouk Amin. Yes, it was. Uh, I, I like he how he threw two second round picks in that Spurs trade too, I think, for DeMar, if I'm right, two. Just insane. I can't Arturis remember exactly, but. Oh, bad. Uh, Cody, they're going to want to bring back Drummond because Drummond's awesome. And just like Caruso, in a better world, we are loving Andre Drummond. He's a Chicago Bulls icon. He's a hero on a 50-win team. He rocks, dude. Drummond kicks ass. He he is perhaps the second best backup center in the NBA. Perhaps. Behind Isaiah Hardenstein. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's probably the best. Is he the best player on a veteran minimum in the entire league? Oh, I'd have to think, but I yeah, but, I do I mean, not have another one off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, I mean, he's given great value. That's for sure. I mean, he's, that was a good signing by AK. Yeah. And AK is going to want to bring him back. I, I have to retract my don't give guys player options if Andre Drummond's going to pick up $3 million player options yeah. to average 14 and 18 when he starts. That That was well done. Yeah. So what do you think happens with Drummond? Do you think they're going to try to bring him back? Do you think it's re- reasonable that they could? I think he'll go somewhere where he can start more often uh, because he's been so open and honest about uh, how he feels. He's still a starting caliber center in the NBA and he's certainly playing like it. And he's been, I thought when they first signed him and he said some of those things and then it, it was the first year, it wasn't always like the smoothest in by way of like versatility and stuff. Like they put him in pick and roll. Sometimes guys would run around him for layups and it's like, how big of an effect do you have? But then as the year went on, he had a good season. He's having a phenomenal season this year. Like to me, I thought there was a potential for him to be grumpy and he's never been like that. He just says, I think I'm a starter handles his business. Terrific. But I just think he would want to go to a situation where he can continue to prove that. Like he, he loves calling himself like the greatest rebounder in yeah. the NBA right now. And one of them greatest of all time. Like I think chasing some rebounding numbers means something to him too, you know? And I think he just, that opportunity for him makes sense elsewhere. The money he would command, like the bulls have been overpaying Vooch obviously and overpaid assets to acquire him. But like 
to me, the center positions just befuddled me. You can't sit there and start sinking like $30 million into center position. Hey, maybe they'll start both of them next season with two big lineup. Just get it rolling. I'm pretty sure those two guys are exactly like 0.0 or 0.1 on the floor together this year. So if you want to go 41 and 41 and get the eight seed, you (laughs) should start the double. Great NBA basketball in 2024 is the Booch Drummond uh, front court. So it's worth sometimes. What, do you think he'll be back, Ricky? I mean, I think Drummond will, will get What's he going to get? Like, we, like uh, we were talking about this in our other chat before, too. Like, like the taxpayer MLE? Well, I mean, will someone use cap, some cap space on him? Like, a full MLE? Like, I don't know. Like, with the way the center position is, it is weird. Like, I feel like the be- the best guys get huge deals. And then, like, obviously, Vooch just got his whatever the hell he got. But, like, I mean, the fact that Drummond is on, like, a mid, like, I, I feel like I thought he was washed, honestly. Like, I did not love the signing when it happened. Like, it seemed like he was just kind of a goofball, would make a lot of mistakes. And he still has his moments where he fumbles the ball away and, like, misses dunks and shit. But, like, uh, for the minimum, he's been great. So, yeah, like, it is weird with the, the, how guys get paid as center. So, like, the, with this, like, resurgence in his career, like, I do wonder, like, what's his market will be like. I mean, I'm thinking, like, two year deal for, like, 20 million or something. I don't know. What, I'm just right. spitballing yeah. here on the spot, but that he'll want a multi-year deal, I think, and um, look for for a total that that. And with the with well. the Bulls, their salary situation, we talk about bringing back Demar. I mean, if they're big, giving Demar big money, and then the Pat situation, like how much is he getting? Is he going to take the qualifying offer? Will they have to match something? Will they come to an agreement? Like there is the luxury tax. I mean, this, we know the ownership ownership's not going to pay luxury tax for this no. mediocre team. So like. The, they could easily get, even if Drummond wants to stay, like if someone else is going to offer him money, whether it's a good team, whether it's a team where he just starts, like he's probably gone, which is why they I think they'd him. have to be off Zach Levine's contract somehow right. for yeah. Andre Drummond to come back. And I don't know how the timeline you'd have to trade Zach Levine yeah. around the draft, probably yeah. um, in that case, or have a trade. They also got to dump right, Javon so. Carter and his six or seven million. Oh, you, you led this off with him passing up the layup, yeah. Ricky. The the other one I love, he ran that loose ball down in the second half near the hoop that he needed to shoot at. And he, I will admit his momentum was taking him out of bounds. So he kind of like rounded to the corner and passed to a teammate. But like if Io runs that ball down, that layup's going up immediately, even if his momentum's taking him past. So he really, he actually passed up like two wide open layups he could have had in the game. He's, uh, and I he's thought bad. that was a good sign. I, 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 I love thought that. it was good too. Yeah, I like the sign. He's been, he hasn't shot, like he shot so well with the Bucks last year and he can't make anything now. Like he's any smalls, like he, well, he's like a hard nosed defender. Like sometimes he just gets bully ball because he's so small. So it's like, it just hasn't worked out. They got to get off that deal. What is it? Seven million or something like three out of trade. I think. Yeah, I don't know. What, like you're, you're probably not going to get anything. Like maybe you can get a second for like a team that thinks they can rehab him or something. But like if they're going to have to clear space, if they want to re-sign Drummond and or give Demar a big deal, or give Pat move him. So Patrick Williams, let's move to Patrick Williams real quick here. Like his situation. Like what the fuck, man? Like what do you do with Patrick Williams? Oh, uh, I bring him back. I just I bring him back probably on a four-year deal. Um, How I'm much? Not letting him. Uh, Four year, what seventy million ish something? I said four work? six. I said four sixty, and when we talked four, about after the injury, it would seem four fine. Like seventy four seventy, fine. Sure. Don't don't let him go. Like he's, I think he's a very good off ball defender. Um, like I, you just got to keep guys like that. I know he's disappointed offensively, and he's stuck on averaging nine or ten points every year. Um, but just stop comparing him to to being the number four overall pick in the draft and stop. Every time you look at Patrick Williams, don't say I missed out on Tyrese Halliburton. Look at him and see if he can help your team win in some sort of role. So uh, I bring him back, no doubt. Like, I don't see anyone out there going to give Pat Williams four years and a hundred million dollars. Right? Like that, Troy that Weaver would be the concern. Troy Weaver could do anything, <laughs> but hopefully he'll still be falling in love with centers at that point or something and not having the money. But I, I don't know what you guys do with him. Like I wouldn't, I would try to play hardball with him, obviously, because it's restricted free agency. So wait him out or whatever. But I think that's what they'll do. They'll, I guess, I would guess they lowball him. Uh, say go get an offer sheet. If it doesn't happen. Maybe he signs the qualifying offer, which is like twelve or thirteen million. Approve it season if he has a nice season, but there is risk there. I mean, he's had multiple big injuries in his yeah. career and he's missed time. So, like, if here's the thing: is yeah. he might not play 
it's next. possible that he's not going to be ready for the start True. of next season. So, yeah, if you read into this injury, serious injury. There's a large variance of outcomes. The navicular, or whatever it's called. Williams injury. Yeah. I think it's kind of on the table that he doesn't play next year. I think that that we should just assume that now with Alonzo Ball, zero percent chance that happens. So for Pat, if you were to offer him, let's say the Kobe deal, yeah, four years, forty million, is Pat really going to turn that down to take a Kobe's three three years deal? Three years for Kobe. Yeah, I think Kobe's same idea though. Yeah, let's go four years, forty million. Let's say, you know, if Pat. You know, instead, his other option is the qualifying offer. I mean, if he doesn't play or if he plays and gets hurt again or if he doesn't take a big jump up, like, is he going to have another $40 million contract on the table after that year? Then he's probably taking another prove it deal. So I kind of think the Bulls could be in a decent position to play hardball with him. I hate this for Patrick's sake, but this is the position the Bulls have put themselves in because... They won't trade anyone, and they are terrible at negotiating. Uh, I kind of wonder, is there a chance they let Pat go to bring back Drummond? I think this would be really dumb, but Arturis has proven himself to be nothing but a gigantic moron since he's taken the job. And all these rumors on the Casey on Casey Johnson's uh, Bulls Talk podcast that like, oh, yeah, we might move off Pat when they were four and 15. They were like not super pleased with Pat. Uh, His numbers are exactly the same. I think he's gotten better. I really like Patrick Williams. I think he's what you need from a four, which is a really good defender who can make a wide open three. Of course, he leaves you wanting more, of course, but he's still very young. I would love to bring back Patrick Williams on a multi-year deal. I am kind of worried that the Bulls will choose to bring back Drummond and DeRozan over Pat because they are stupid. <laughs> am I, I crazy here? I wouldn't call you crazy in anything. I mean, Casey's as well sourced as it gets. You know what I mean? So, um, but I would be, I would still be very surprised by that, right? That's what I just because I mean he was AK's first, first draft pick. pick. Yep. He doesn't again, like even if you're signing him to a deal, and let's just say he he does get healthy in some form, like and he is somewhat disappointing, like he can still be a sixth man playing like 24 yeah, minutes a sure. game or something. Like I, I don't feel like this is a situation where you're signing a guy to a long-term deal and he's like nearly unplayable and you're yeah. bad because you're playing him or anything. Um, so I'm with you. Like just like this team just needs more guys who are at least average on both ends and fit the modern NBA a little better. So I, I, I'm so frustrated by Pat Williams' lack of rebounding. He's had a few spurts, and again, you can pick out any five-game sample you want and say he did better, but there's just so many moments and so many games still where if you watch closely, it's frustrating um, that he isn't doing more there. So, like, that's my huge concern with him. Like, I'm not so concerned whether he averages 10 points or 15 points a game because I do think you can make that up elsewhere a little bit more. Um, but I think he brings some of those other things that they need and, and miss. And like you said, like defense, this team just lacks length. It lacks guys who other than Caruso and Pat Williams, it feels like um, can, can really turn teams over. Like you, you saw it like Caruso was out and the bulls bludgeoned the Cavs to death on the glass, but they didn't force many turnovers for most of that game um, against the Cavs. So they need guys. Uh, like Pat Williams, who can do that. And like your injury point is great and it's difficult, right? Because it's hard to get true information out of this team. They always say someone's out six to eight weeks to start. And then it's like six in months later and you don't know <laughs> if they're going to be able to play still or in Lonzo Ball's case, two plus years uh, there. So it could be far worse, like you said, um, Ricky, in that case. But if you do, generally speaking, get a clean bill of health back when it's time to go to restricted free agency, I think bringing him back on a four-year deal would be good. If there are serious flags and concerns on the medical, your deal certainly makes way more sense than what I proposed. For sure. Speaking of Lonzo Ball, hey, uh, maybe a setback, not sprinting, but then he self-lobbed a dunk to himself. So who who knows what's happening there? Obviously, I don't want to get into Lonzo Ball too much, but uh, because... God knows what's actually going on there, but that did happen this week. Billy Donovan, AK never talks about Lonzo Ball. It's always Billy Donovan talking about what's going on with Lonzo Ball. Um, so yeah, quick Lonzo Ball update there. Um, don't want to go too much longer here. 
Cody, I do want to ask you a little more optimistic optimistic here about our guy, Ayo DeSumo, Illinois legend Ayo DeSumo, who has been awesome for going on two months now, uh, shooting basically like almost 50% from three. And uh, the Bulls don't win the game last night without Ayo picking up in the fourth quarter at multiple threes. Uh, I think he had another t- basket late in regulation or OTEC, I can't remember which one it was, but a um, bunch of p- points down the stretch. His three-point shooting, um, the team MVP apparently is Peter Patton because he's gotten several guys to just take huge strides from three other than Nikola Vucevic. But are you surprised how good Io has been these last couple months? And do you think he what his upside is? Because I, like, I, obviously as an Illinois guy, we're both Illinois guys, like, loved the pick. Loved what he's shown as like in stretches and his career, but he was pretty bad last season. Like no doubt, I yeah. didn't love the contract they gave him. I thought it was kind of dumb. Like he he's coming off a terrible year, and you're giving him a three year deal. Like more like oh, AK like negotiating against himself again. Like what the hell are you doing here? And uh, the start of the year he was okay, but the these last two months, like with all these injuries, he's been playing huge minutes. He's shooting the shit out of the ball. Like he's obviously not going to shoot 50, 45, 50% from three for the, uh, that's going to even out a bit, but like he's been getting a ton of big shots, clutch threes, uh, just th- threes in general and doing other things as well. Uh, transition. We know he's great. Um, so are you surprised at how good IO has been just these last couple months and just the big uh, role that he's been playing? Yeah. I mean, I am, like you said, I mean, he's shooting uh, on fire from behind three point range for, for a long stretch, just shy of 41% for the year. Like that's a huge deal. If he replicates that um, moving forward in his career, not just for the bulls, but certainly for him and his outlook in the NBA and contracts down the line and everything, but he's been even more aggressive in transition. And we've asked Billy Donovan a lot about, or about IO a lot. And he he's pointed out a few things. Like if you look back to his rookie year, Think like the best stretch he kind of had as point guard when he subbed in for Lonzo. Like he was playing this two man game with Vooch and they had some success and he had like these 10, uh, eight assist games, stuff like that. But it, it didn't feel like he understood all the chess pieces on the floor. And Billy's pointed out that he understands that a little bit better where everyone else is supposed to be and how his threat of driving to the hoop can affect um, where others go on the floor, how he draws the defense and where to kick it. So that comes with, you know, being in your third year in the NBA, but I've still been surprised by him. I, I think he's a lot less predictable than he was probably in his first two years in the NBA. Like if he got a screen on the right side, um, at any point he was going around, going to dribble to his right, try to beat everyone there. Now you see him turn down a screen a little bit more. You see him snake through screens and weave back to where he came from, stuff like that. So I think that matters. But yeah, I've been mildly surprised that not not at his work ethic, not at his transition ability, not that he took some of those steps in understanding the floor, but just that shooting percentage um, because he never he never fired away at a ridiculous three point clip at Illinois either. Most of his um, a lot of mid range performance, a lot of mid range, a lot of transition as well. So for him to do that um, has been awesome for him. A little bit surprising to me and is probably one of the biggest reasons for hope for the Bulls, I think, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And keeping on Illinois really quick, how confident are you in Illinois actually getting out of the first weekend this year? Super confident if they <laughs> hang 105 in every single game. Uh, I'm terrified of the second round game, um, probably being another tough draw for Illinois. And then the Illinois defense allowing like 92 points and can the Illini score 93 somehow. Yeah, um, this is it's been a wild season. Like they were so good insane. at the start of the year, and obviously all the Shan, Terrence Shannon stuff. But like their offense, I think they're like third in like Ken Palm offensive efficiency. But their defense, which was awesome like, to start the year, is off. Is like a hundred now or something like that. And they give up like 80, 90 every game. Uh, it makes it a little more fun. At least, at least like the games are entertaining. I know when I went to Illinois, like I saw the thirty eight, thirty three loss to I think it was Penn yeah, State. Penn State. In, yeah, in person, like that was the worst sporting event I think I've ever seen in my life. So like at least now, like these games are whatever eighty to seventy or ninety to eighty. Like the game against Minnesota, they allowed like seventy percent three point shooting and won because they put up over a hundred. Uh, it's like absolutely crazy stuff. But like I. Yeah, I just I can't get super confident because, I mean, they haven't made the second weekend since they went to the tournament final in 2005. Uh, but, I mean, they have the talent. They could absolutely go on a run because they can score the shit out of the ball. But Yeah, the team, in a weird way, I might even be slightly more confident than past years just because the team is so 
ridiculous. And like, you know, there's always a few teams that get ridiculously hot yeah. at shooting the ball uh, in the NCAA tournament. So the other problem is, I mean, at times we'll still be terrified if it's a tie game with two yeah, two the, minutes to go in the game collapsed. and there's no no yeah. point guard yeah. <laughs> um, to, to organize sometimes to take care of the yeah. ball. Like we saw the mess at Penn State where yeah. a turnover or two um, just just killed him at the end. So uh, it it'll be wildly entertaining though because it it's cool watching some of these teams throw up a, a hundred points in college yeah. basketball. It is it is fun. Um, Ricky, real quick, what do you think of Illinois, Mister College Basketball? How do you how do you feel about them this season? I don't know if I'm Mr. College Basketball, but I have been getting you whatever, Mr. Draft. You watch lately. a decent amount of college basketball. Totally. I watch I've watched so much college basketball <laughs> through the course of my career, and I'm getting into it again because guess what? I'm responsible for March Madness again, in addition to being responsible for the Super Bowl coverage and the NBA Finals coverage <laughs> and just everything. So yeah, I'm getting into it. I'm all in lately. Illinois. It's kind of tough because I like almost don't want to talk about the team because of the Shannon allegations. And I thought Shannon was a tremendous player this year. Like how many times do you see a guy who in his fifth year is still getting so much better? He made a noticeable leap as a three point shooter. Uh, He's always so fast with the ball. Like you don't see guys that are as big and strong as he is and be have like that level of elite speed with the ball and being college for five years. I think I put him in my mock draft in 2019 or 2020. Like he's just been a really good college player for a long time. Doesn't have much of an in-between game in my opinion, but like maybe he started to develop that a little bit too. I know everything was dropping for him against Minnesota, but uh, he looked pretty good there. To me, it's like, is Coleman Hawkins going to hit a couple threes? If he does, they're probably going to win. And if he shoots 0 for 6, they're probably going to lose. And that's a very simplistic way to put it. But, like, they kind of need him to take threes. And defensively, you just wish he was a little tougher and a little better inside, I feel like. But that's just not the type of player he is. So they are just going to go spread and shred and try to play, you know, their approximation of four out or five out basketball and try to beat teams that way. So, I don't know. Uh, I think they are a pretty good team. Every time I watch Illinois, I get mad that they ran out pods. Like pods would have been the (laughs) perfect player for them last year. And he probably wouldn't have been around this year because, you know, he's just obviously a pro and he's been so good as a rookie. But like to me, if I was an Illinois fan, that would drive me insane. Like they needed a point guard so bad. They had this guy on campus. They took Sky Clark instead. They ran off Sky Clark because he didn't like his role or whatever the story was with that. And like this guy who you basically ran off, Pajemski becomes a fucking stud immediately. So that's the main thing I think about when I watch Illinois. But uh, in general, team's pretty solid. I'm excited to watch him play in March. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the round of 32 is going to be very similar to the Bulls uh, game against the Magic for the eight seed. <laughs> that's right. Oh, God. <laughs> You can't watch any basketball game without thinking of some precursor to it or who should be there or this should have happened, whether it's the Illini, something else in college basketball, or whether, of course, it's the beloved Bulls in Chicago. Man. Great stuff. We'll see. Uh, I got nothing else. Ricky, you have anything else? We've probably wrapped it up. Jace. We've been going for a while. Uh, Cody, thank you, as always, for joining us. I feel like you like always come on with us like right around this time of year. Uh, so thank you again for joining us, taking some time out. No one better to react to a trade deadline That's with right. no action other than me breaking yeah, and down. If you have not, if for whatever reason you have not read uh, Cody's great column uh, for six, seven, the score about AK being like the perfect Reinsdorf, whatever general manager, president, whatever vice president of basketball opinions, please do go back and you can get mad all over again. Read the great column, just completely ripping uh, them to shreds. So it was great stuff. So yeah, go check out his work. Bulls beat reporter for 670. If you have anything else you want to plug, Cody, right now, go ahead. No, just tune in to 670 the score anytime you want to hear some Chicago sports. That's uh, that's all we need. I appreciate hopping on the uh, podcast anytime with you guys. It's always fun. Awesome. Thanks again, Cody. That is going to do it for us here on this episode of Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. As always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Tons of great pods all across Blue Wire. I feel like what we're doing here. Check them all out. For us here at Cash, please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. You can follow me and Ricky on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. 
Ricky's at SBN underscore Ricky. Cody, I believe, is at, at Cody Westerlund, I believe, as well. So go follow him, too. Again, covering the Bulls for 670. Um, and yeah, that's going to do it for here. The Bulls coming up, uh, they play the Bucks. Uh, Friday night, uh, the Bucks played tonight. They beat the Hornets. The Bulls have played the Bucks. They've been competitive against the Bucks all season. So maybe we'll get another uh, shockingly close game. Damian Lillard's had like the worst games of the season, like in every game against the Bulls this year. So I'm curious to see if that happens once again. We'll see if do we do we know Crusoe. Do we what's his status? Do we know for tomorrow? He's questionable for Friday questionable night. again. Questionable again for Alex Cruz. So we will see. Obviously, if he does play, he'd have a lot of time on Dame. So, uh, and then they have a, I believe it's a four game road trip out west or four or five games, something like that. It'll be tough. But again, the Bulls have somehow found a way to win some of these improbable games and games they really shouldn't have. So we will see if they will keep that up moving forward. So that's going to do it for us here on this episode of Cash Considerations. We'll talk to you guys probably sometime next week. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>